Armstrong and Getty Show. Glad you're here. Jack is taking the day off, returning from a trip uh, where he took his dad to a Bassett ball game for his 80th birthday. It's really very nice. I'm going to see my mom and pop this weekend, spend some quality time. We're going to a baseball game. I would love to see Bassett ball. Is that like wiener dog races? (laughs) It's exactly like that. It's exactly like that. That would be so fun. It takes years to train them to stand on their back legs (laughs) and hurl a ball through. They use the 10-foot hoop. My sister has a basset hound, and the idea of Riley doing anything like that is absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Every can, game lasts 17 hours. <laughs> he can he can barely roust himself to say hello when you come through the door. Now, I, I often joke I'm a man who craves leisure. That is a dog who needs leisure. <laughs> no. uh, my, my wife has been on the warpath lately for us to get a dog, and she we were at some farmer's market this past weekend, and somebody had a basset hound, and she went into ecstasies about how much, how, oh, we should get a basset hound. I don't think the owner was like. I don't think you want a bass. <laughs> they're they're fabulous in a lot of ways, but man, they are drool machines and and howling and, and they smell. Mm, but so do I. Timothy Sandifer is with us. He's the vice president of litigation for the Goldwater Institute, longtime litigator for the Pacific Legal Foundation, uh, author of a number of great books about uh, personal liberty and uh, property rights and the right to work and that sort of thing, and the author most recently of Frederick Douglass, Self Made Man. But there are a million things we could talk about. I want to talk about why you approached the book the way you did. It is not a 3,000-page, three-volume biography of Frederick Douglass. Well, because I wanted people to read it. (laughs) It's Well, I'm not going to lead you. How did you decide what approach to take on the book? Well, first of all, the reason I wrote the book is because it's Douglass's bicentennial. February of 1818 was when he was born. He never did find out exactly when. And when I saw that deadline coming up, I thought, you know, I've admired Douglas all my life. I know a lot about him. So I, why not do this? And, and, and my challenge was to try and write his life in 100 pages. I didn't quite manage that. But, um, you know, for, um, uh, what was it? Christopher Hitchens did a book about Thomas Jefferson some years ago that was very short. And I, that was what I was kind of trying to aim at. And another writer named Ann Heller did a wonderful book about Hannah Arendt that was exactly 100 pages. And Doing that in 100 pages really takes a lot of work. So I thought I'd put this challenge before me. I got to, what is it, 130 or something is what I got. And um, It's very much like the uh, the challenge uh, a friend of Dr. Seuss's gave him. Yeah, it's, uh, the Green Eggs and Ham was based off of a bet that you couldn't make a best-selling book with less than 50 unique words. Yeah, and that, right. that has exactly 50. So it's very much like that. Yeah. It, it also reminds me of one of my uh, favorite college professors talk to, talking about writing where some somebody wrote, excuse me for the length of this letter, but I didn't have the, enough, I didn't have the time to make it shorter. That's right. Or yeah. longer. Yeah. Or something. Ladies and I gentlemen, that, that was positive, Sean, on the need for brevity. Yes. <laughs> Which reminds I didn't me. finish college. Which reminds so. me of my very favorite Simpsons joke of all time <laughs> when they go to the Reader's Digest convention and there's a banner outside that says, brevity is dot, 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 wit. <laughs> Which is awesome. So that's what yeah, I was trying to I was trying to be yeah. brief. And, and you know, I've written long books. I wrote a 350-page book. I have a, I've finished a manuscript for my next book. is going to be 500 pages or so. So I've written long books, but I, the, every page you add, you lose two readers. So I wanted to keep this as short as I possibly could. Plus, I knew I, I thought it would be kind of fun to do the audio version. So I've also done the audio version oh, where cool. I, I read it. And uh, I can so do I, character voices if you want. <laughs> you know, I would advise against that. We given must this win the civil war. <laughs> I could do all sorts. So uh, this, the, uh, the subtitle. Well, the title, I guess, is uh, Self-Made Man. Self-Made Man, yeah. Um, there are those who have criticized the book a little bit. I think, yeah. from what Jack was telling me, 
as being uh, you're trying to make a point. Yeah, well, I am. I certainly am trying to make a point. Uh, Douglas was uh, what in his day was called a liberal, what is in today's world called a libertarian, with some exceptions. Uh, but for the most part, he was he was basically a libertarian guy, and that's something that is contentious among the historian crowd. But the history of the 19th century has largely been written by uh, historians of a very leftist persuasion. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because the whole argument for socialism generally has been that free markets are terrible and they the, and they lead to all these sorts of abuses. And just look at the 19th century. So, of course, leftist historians tend to specialize in the 19th century. So they've tried to write that story that way, and I'm opposed to that. And so it's not surprising that academics like like David Blight at, at Yale University attacked my book. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. You know, you get used to that. Yeah, well, that's a, a red badge of honor or something, <laughs> honestly. Uh, Frederick Douglass had a very Martin Luther King Jr. in the world idea of personal dignity and education. Um, he he did. certainly would have differed on, on, on a number of different topics, but it, it, Douglass was pretty hardcore about educate yourself, be worthy of respect, Work hard, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and uh, and his most famous lecture is most. He made his living as a as a traveling lecturer, and his most popular lecture was "Self Made Men," which he delivered something like forty or fifty times in his life. And it, the it was basically, you know, this is what you'd do in the evening is it, without television, is you would go and see a famous speaker, and his he would talk for you know an hour and a half, two hours, or whatever. That was the evening's entertainment. And the subject of the speech is people who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, the the Benjamin Franklins, the Abraham Lincolns. Douglas was too modest to to mention himself, of course, but um, his it's an analysis of what it is that makes people self-made men and and he starts out by saying you know there's no such real thing as a person who completely creates himself you're the product of your family experiences and all the things that happen to you in life but that's true of everybody these people that we're talking about who are who that we refer to as self-made men these people are are people who have done something different with their lives and done something special what is that thing and he puts it his answer is in all caps with four exclamation points he says work 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 so Douglas was very much an, an an emphatic defender of the idea that that if you work hard and persevere, that you can succeed and deserve your success. We've uh, thrown the word men around a lot because that was the quote of the time. But he was also uh, an aggressive women's suffragist. Proponent. Yeah, he he attended uh, suffrage the, proponent. He d- attended the Seneca Falls Convention. He was the only male delegate there. He made the official motion to include the women's right to vote in the platform of the convention. And he spoke in defense of, of women's equality for the rest of his life, literally until the day he died. He died only a few year, a few hours after having given a speech in defense of the women's right to vote. So, um, so he, was in, he was very much a radical for freedom. I, I hesitate to say liberal because people think of that in, t- in modern terms and they think mm-hmm. of the m- regulatory welfare state of today. Douglas would have despised today's regulatory welfare state. So he would have had some things in common with Martin Luther King. He, he would have loved King's insistence on the immorality of segregation. He would have admired King's uh, eloquence and his willingness to put his life on the line for his beliefs. He would have very much opposed King's nonviolence, though. Uh, Douglas was very much not a nonviolent man. Uh, he very much believed that black Americans needed to possess firearms to defend themselves against the violation of their civil rights. And he insisted his the motto of his life was who would be free must himself strike the blow. So he he would have been more of the, your Malcolm X type in that regard. But he also would have rejected Malcolm's argument for racial separatism and, and black nationalism. So he's really his own guy. Let's uh, rewind a little bit to uh, during the slavery era. One of the things I enjoyed most about the book was being reminded of the 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 techniques of the slaver, 
the relationship with the slave, why it's so insidious. And we can get to that in a minute or two because it's really interesting. But the uh, I also enjoyed very much the reminder that slavery had a very important social significance in the South, perhaps even yeah. more important than the economic importance, which is what we all learn as school kids. Yeah, they wanted the slaves because they right. could harvest X, Y, and Z more cheaply. But it was a hell of a lot more than that in the Southern psyche. Yeah, absolutely. This is very important because we tend to think of slavery as a legal institution or an economic institution. It was really more of a social institution. And, it and you know, social, slavery is one of the oldest and most persistent human institutions that exist. It, by comparison with slavery... Things like monogamy and literacy are relative newcomers. Sure. I mean, slavery has been around forever, and it's more of a social practice that the founding fathers saw around them that they you know, had been around for 100, 200 years before their own time, and they didn't know how to eliminate it. They hoped future generations would figure out a way to do it. Because they it, knew it was evil. Yeah, and they, and, it, and they also knew that it wasn't just created by law, so it wasn't something like you could just go in and write a law to get rid of it. It was mm-hmm. a lot more complicated than that, because a lot of the slave-owning class really vested a lot of their own personality in it. And they liked to think of it in this perverse dis- way that is disgusting today, but they liked to think of it as being like a family relationship. Like, they were the parents, and their slaves were their children, and which, you know, well, in many cases was brutes. literally true. Well, well, yeah, but they were dumb brutes who needed that. That was their attitude. That, That's right. uh, ownership, that yeah. parenting. And, and, it was, and it's perverse. And, and one of the things that I think really, really stuck with Douglas all his life was the way that not only was it a perverse facsimile of family life, but it destroyed real families. You know, he never knew his father. He never saw his mother at, after the age of seven. When he did feel affection coming from... Uh, his uh, his mistress Sophia Ald, when he was a young boy in Baltimore, that quickly hardened and disappeared. When when she realized that she needed, in order to per, to keep him in slavery, she had to take a firm line with him. All that affection disappeared. So wh- throughout his writings about his uh, in his autobiography on this subject, you sense the bitterness that he was deprived of a family by slavery, and that was of course true of countless people throughout the country. What about uh, poor white Southerners who could never hope to own a slave in their lives? Why yeah, were but, they in? Invested in no, a system because then they could feel superior to somebody else, you know, and which and, is one of the greatest human needs. Oh yeah, absolutely, it is. It's a it's constantly in demand. The desire to feel that you are somehow better than another, and the best literary expression of this uh, that you really get the full picture of it is the character of Pap in Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. In, in when Pap is ranting about how much he hates black people. And he complains that he saw a, man, a black man wearing a suit who's a professor at some university, and they were uh, taking off their hats to him and all this sort of that sort of de- contempt f- for another person because of his race because he needs so badly to feel better than somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that desire that, you know, if there's an original sin in, in the world, that's it. The desire to dictate other people's choices and feel superior to them. Yeah, everything from kids picking on little kids to systematic racism comes from that same unholy desire. If you want to feel better than somebody else, become better than them. Yeah, and that was exactly Douglas's message. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, so much to talk about. Tim Sandifer is with us. Tim Lawyer, Frederick Douglass, self-made man is the book. We're going to come back and talk about all sorts of other stuff. I don't even know. Wherever it goes. What do you want to talk about? Well, we should mention I'll be talking about the book tonight in San Francisco. Ah, yes. And uh, I'll tweet out information about that. You can find it on our website. Please uh, in, come by. In brief, where is it? Uh, it's uh, on Sutter Street. Okay. All right. At 6.30. Okay. Join us.
All right, yeah, we'll we'll tweet out all the information in the next couple of minutes and post it at armstrongandgetty.com. So hang around. More to come. Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the of, nation. Of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. There's so much good stuff we could be doing. Sean did a great job of getting tons and tons of tape ready for the show. Um, we're not going to get to much of it, honestly, because, you know, Tim the Lawyer is here in studio and we're having a hell of a good time. Hope you are, too. Timothy Sandifer is the vice president for litigation at the Goldwater Institute, author of Frederick Douglass, Self-Made Man. Uh, co-author uh, with your wife Christina of uh, property rights in the twenty first century, and and I'll be talking. I'll be giving a talk tonight in San Francisco about the Frederick Douglass book, and then this weekend in Seattle, Christina and I are keynoting the um, uh, Coalition for Property Rights convention up there in Seattle on uh, Saturday. I think it is it's this weekend, and we'll be talking about the Cornerstone book. And if you want to, if anybody wants to learn more about that, go to proprights.org. Find out more information. And I'm sorry, what's the proper title of the book? That book is Cornerstone of Liberty, Property Rights in 21st Century America. Right. The, one of your theses being, or your thesis is, that property rights are not like a, a secondary, third-level right behind freedom of speech, and, but they are fundamental to liberty. Without property rights, can we have liberty? No, absolutely not. The, liberty is really, in a sense, is all made up of property rights. My right to own my own self, to own my own mind, to own my own body. I mean... We were just talking about Frederick Douglass. He, he, he would open speeches sometimes by saying, I stand here before you as a thief. I, was, I stole this head and these limbs and these arms and these legs and ran off with them and stole them from my master. And, and the, the absurdity of saying that a person doesn't own himself was what he was highlighting there. Mm-hmm. Well, freedom of speech just means you own your ideas and you have the right to express them. Freedom of religion means that you own your own conscience and you have the right to worship as you choose. Freedom, all the freedoms that you think of, you can you can reduce down to some property right in some way, or either that, or you're thinking of freedom wrongly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, property rights is is an essential aspect of what it means to be a free person. So, and just for the the numbskulls listening, you're not in favor of, um, like I have uh, uh, water that kind of drains through my yard. I live at the bottom of a hill. Um, I used to live at the top so I could look down on people. I've decided to humble myself. I live at the bottom of a hill. You're not in favor of me dumping 50-gallon vats of mercury into the water because that's my yard and I can do anything I want with it. Of course not. In fact, that's what's great about property rights is that property rights entitles the abused neighbor to fight back when something like that happens. If I don't own my property, then what recourse do I have if somebody comes and dumps a bunch of mercury on my land? What property the says... The brave bureaucrat will stand up for me, right. Tim. That's right, exactly. The Allow brave the government, noble bureaucrat. Which is, which is why the most polluted places on the earth are the places where the government has the most power. The most polluted place on the earth is the former Soviet Union. Because there were no property rights, and so there was nobody to stand up and say no about pollution. The government just decided to pour pollution in here and there, and you have these horrible dead zones in Russia and, and in Siberia and so forth as a result of that. Or look... Uh, in any example that you care to name, look at Hawaii. 
the the environmental degradation in Hawaii, Ko'olawe that was attacked, that was just used as a as a firing range by the United States Navy, or the extinction of of animals there, the extinction of the o'o bird in the nineteenth century was caused by the fact that the Hawaiian royalty just wanted the birds for its feathers and hunted it to extinction, destroyed the forests in order to grow sandalwood. I mean, you take an example, any example you care to name, government is by far the worst polluter in the history of humanity. Tim Sandifer with us. Tim, what are you working on these days? Oh, uh, well, actually, Monday I have to go do some depositions in a case that we're doing in Arizona. One of the things that the the Goldwater Institute is focused on is uh, enforcing the rights that are protected by state constitutions. We, lock, we often talk about the federal constitution, and we forget that state constitutions also provide constitutional protections. And one of the most important of these is the gift clause, which is a, a, a rule that says the government is not allowed to give away taxpayer money to private enterprises. Oh, it's Cor- just part of a fight on that very topic. But go Corporate on, welfare is illegal in most states in this country, and most people don't know it. Uh, so we we go to court at the Institute to enforce the gift clause in many states. We're doing cases in Texas, New Jersey, uh, let's see, Illinois, and we're doing this case down in, in the Tucson area where the government has decided to boost tourism by giving $15 million of taxpayer money to a private company that's supposed to take tourists on rides to the stratosphere in specially modified weather balloons. Wow! At a cost of $75,000 per ticket. What? Meanwhile, the average income <gasps> in the county is half of that. So the government is I'd literally like to do it, but not for seventy-five gur. Sorry, back to you. Literally taking from the poor and giving to the rich. And this company, by the way, has never successfully launched a balloon. They, they recently <laughs> that seems like a hurdle. <laughs> they recently did launch a balloon, but it exploded on takeoff. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. But now taxpayers are on the hook for the repairs to to the uh, infrastructure that was caused by this this exploding balloon. We like to call we affectionately refer to this project as the balloon doggle. The idea is supposed to be that it'll encourage economic development in the county and stuff. And really what it is, is just another example of corporate welfare being overseen by government bureaucrats who think they know better than you do how to spend your money. And that's the kind of project that we do a lot of. We're doing another case on that exact same issue in another uh, city. Well, just in very briefly, I'd month. like to point out that I am equal to that company in terms of number of stratospheric balloons launched. <laughs> <laughs> we are neck and neck. Well, all you have to do is fill out a form, <laughs> go, approach the bureaucrats, and and know somebody. That's what it really is. Is it's cronyism? Is it's do you know somebody in the government so that you can get a special handout because your business is going to improve the economy and the typical sorts of excuses. And that's the same thinking that leads to things like the, the 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 stupid bullet train and all these sorts of projects. Right. I take it you agree that it's one of the great thefts of, from taxpayers in oh, American history. I, yeah. I've been posting some calculations on Twitter lately that you could you could give a million dollars to every homeless person in Los Angeles and San Francisco for the price of the of the so-called bullet train. Or buy everybody in L.A. a Prius or something It would like be that. cheaper to fly every Californian to Tokyo to ride that bullet train and fly them back than to build the bullet train. <laughs> and nobody oh. will ride it. More with Tim Lawyer coming up in a couple of minutes. Marshall Phillips, what do you have for us in the news? Illegals jumped the border fence during Trump's visit in San Diego. <laughs> you got Russia cheering Secretary of State Tillerson's firing. And Ikea wants you to eat bug burgers. Stories coming up minutes from now. Armstrong and Getty. All right. All right, we'll see if we can squeeze that in. I don't, I don't know. We got an eminent constitutional scholar here. We don't need your buck burgers, Marshall. Stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty Show.
quick roundup of the news headlines, and then we'll get back to a conversation with Tim Sandifer. Marshall Phillips. President Trump leaving Los Angeles after checking out the border wall prototype, speaking to the troops, attending a Republican fundraiser. While he was looking at the border walls, Trump was warning we really need an impenetrable wall because for illegals... Getting over the top is easy. These are like professional mountain climbers. They're incredible climbers. Now, he was talking about that in San Diego, and while he was doing that, a family of four managed to jump the border wall not far from where Trump was looking at the prototypes. You bastards! Dozens of security personnel were stationed at the border while Trump was there. Video surfaced showing the couple and their two kids climbing over the fence from Mexico a few miles away from where the president was. If the Trump administration did not stage that, they should have, because that's great. That's great. It's like the burglar alarm guy is over at your house in your living room trying to sell you a system, and a guy busts in your house right then. Come on. Russia, hoping for a better relationship with the U.S. following the firing of outgoing Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. President Trump fired Tillerson and has tapped CIA Director Mike Pompeo as his replacement. A Kremlin spokesman saying today that uh, they need to call for a sober and constructive approach now between the U.S. and Russia. They were apparently not a big Tillerson fan. Yeah, shut up, Pooter. You'll, you'll get what we give you, all right? Quit poisoning people, huh? Let's start there. Turns out IKEA wants you to start eating bug burgers. The furniture chain's taking the beef out of its burgers and replacing it with a mixture of mealworms and root vegetables. These special burgers are part of what the chain has dubbed the fast food of the future. In other words, it's healthy and sustainable. It's one of the five new menu items that also include a dogless hot dog, which is made with dried and glazed baby carrots instead of meat. Dogless hot dog? You mean meatless? Hot dogs don't have a dog in them. I'm using their explanation, oh, their yeah, description. That's there. Yes. My apologies. There you go. Finger go where do you get your that. hot dogs? Anyway, the bun <laughs> is... Not from mi- there anymore. Yeah, no <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I'm disappointed. I've never eaten a hot dog again. <laughs> I, I've assumed that it was... That's why they called it You lied to. <laughs> the bun is made with spirulina or microalgae and is literally green. Check out Ikea for these new bug burgers and... Dogless hot dogs. I could see eating one of those burgers just because it's a nice wrestling match between my rational mind and my irrational mind. Right. And I like my rational mind to win. So I'd go in there, I'd tell myself it's protein on a molecular level, blah, right. blah, blah. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Right. Zibbidabadoo. And I would uh, chew it down. I would try not to gag. And if it's really, really tasty, you might have a second one. Well, that's just the problem. What if you liked it? <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be a, a leap forward intellectually. I'd be chewing sure. very carefully trying to feel for any sort of exoskeleton. God dang, uh, that sounds uh, gross. World-renowned physicist Stephen Hawking has passed away. He died at the age of 76. His contributions to science span more than four decades. Hawking, famous for his work on black holes, cosmology, and quantum gravity. He also wrote a number of books on those subjects, including the 1988 bestseller, A Brief History of Time. NASA tweeting, quote, May you keep flying like Superman in microgravity, as you said to astronauts on the space station in 2014. In 2007, I was lucky enough to experience microgravity on a zero-G flight. For me, this was true freedom. People who know me well say that my smile was the biggest they'd ever seen. I was Superman for those few minutes. There you go. Superman and microgravity. 
That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Good job, Squawky. Way to stand up for freedom. Here's my question for you super high-level physics guys, and I know you can't answer it. So you build some sort of super collider out in the middle of Sweden or wherever, and you, you run electrons at each other, or you don't. You claim you do. And then you claim, yeah, we ran these two electrons into each other. Yeah, yeah, that's what we did. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, we captured some sort of new particle. It, it jumped right over there. We got a picture of it. Look, and you know, it's some squiggle or something. How the hell do I know what you're doing over there? <laughs> you might be making up the whole thing. You might be running roller derby in that big collider circle thing, and none of us would ever know. We managed to transport material across time. Did you? How am I going to prove that? How am I going to disprove that? All you have to do is do the math. They show you their math. Just do the math and you'll see. Great. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and I'll explain why February has only 28 days to my dog this afternoon. And and, and watch his look of comprehension. All right. Tim the Lawyer is with us. We're going to have a nice long segment to end up the show with Tim Sandifer from the Goldwater Institute talking about his book, Frederick Douglass, Self-Made Man, and all sorts of topics of interest. Stay with us. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Michael, you know I prefer my Bee Gees pre-disco, but I will accept this. It was quick and easy to grab. That's all right. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Welcome to it. Jack is out today. He will be back tomorrow. Tim Sandifer is uh, filling in as guest slash guest host. Tim the Lawyer, Vice President for Litigation the, at the Goldwater Institute. The Joan Rivers of the Armstrong and Getty Show, you might say. Uh, I might not say that. I would not say that. Um, so, uh, you have a speaking yeah, gig yeah, tonight. Yeah, so I'm speaking, I'm speaking tonight in San Francisco about the Frederick Douglass book. I'm, uh, and it's open to the public. Please join us. You can find out information at my website, timthelawyer.com. It'll direct you there or, or follow me on Twitter and you'll find the information there. I'm, I'm speaking in Seattle about property. Last night, I spoke in Sacramento about the Frederick Douglass book, and I spoke at this restaurant in downtown, and I parked in this parking structure next to the restaurant, and when it was over and I went out to get my car, they had closed up, and the attendant was gone, and I couldn't get my car. Whoops. And some friends were expecting me for dinner downtown, and I was like, so... So I, I got Uber and I, I just got at the got out my phone. I got right. an Uber, took the Uber to the to the restaurant, and then from there to the hotel. Oh, I love it. After I'm done here, I'll go. Over. And it, it occurred to me how just you know ten years ago this would have been a much bigger problem for me. Oh yeah. Now it was just like well I'll just get the car tomorrow. No biggie, you know, because I had transportation. And this is it, once again I was astonished by the innovation and the way that our lives have been changed by the freedom to innovate. And how nobody can possibly predict the the changes that freedom can make possible for us and the ways that it will change our lives. A, a while ago, my father and I were talking about it. We were trying to, th- we were saying, like, take 
take for instance Frederick Douglass. So Douglass was born 1818, dies in 1895. Think about what he saw in that lifetime, the, the expansion of the United States to the West, the, the advent of railroads, the, the invention of the telephone but, you know, during the, the later years of his life. The, the, the light bulb was right there at the end. And it's incredible the amount of change he saw. In life. And so we got to saying, what's, what have we seen in our lives that has had that kind of change? And I don't think we've seen that degree of change, the same kind of degree of well, change. Well, interesting. It's an interesting thought. The, uh, the obvious example, the obvious thing is cell phones, right? Mm-hmm. Cell phones and internet technology are the two biggies. But other than that, what have we seen in our lives that, that have changed our lives, technologically speaking, in the same way that the 19th century saw? You know, it's an interesting contrast because the pace of change is so dizzying right now. But a lot of it's so incremental. I hadn't thought and of so it. And so much like of that. it is the, trivial nonsense. I would say the cell phone having the the width and breadth of all human knowledge theoretically at your fingertips right, right. is pretty amazing. It's amazing. It's incredible. That now I, we may spend our time playing, you know, Candy Crush. <laughs> and, with in it. A, and in a similar way that the the telephone connected people that would never have been connected before. Right. The internet is a, a just a larger scale version of that. Where right. as opposed to you know a state away, I can you know in theory. FaceTime with somebody in Australia. And honestly, I spend my entire day on the internet. I, I sit at my desk using the internet for legal research when I'm writing a brief or something like that. And so I spend, my, that's what I do with my time. So let's, let's accept that one in cell phones. But other than that, have there been technological innovations that you think are on the same scale? I don't think so. The and inter- I wonder. have to think about, yeah. It, the but, internal well, combustion engine. How about that? <laughs> well, I mean, that wasn't during our lifetimes. That's oh, what fair, I mean. fair, fair. See? Okay. All right. So compared with Douglas, now, you could take well, like an example. He was an old man. That's not fair. I'm not that old yet. <laughs> <laughs> but you're on your way. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. No. The the the, the advent of um of uh, transportation by airplane. Now, obviously, that wasn't specifically during our lives, but we've seen a huge change in it. It used to be a lot more expensive and a lot more cumbersome to get a plane ticket and fly than it is today. But they wouldn't kill your dog back in the day. Yeah, seriously. Or drag you off screaming. I can't believe that story. Yeah, that's no, horrible. Horrible. You know, my, we have a parrot in our in our house. Congratulations. And I bet that parrot is a genius. <laughs> he does talk. He knows it when he feels like it. He knows a number of phrases and. Christina had to take him on a plane when she traveled from Michigan to Arizona years ago, and uh, going through security, the you know she's got this him in his travel cage, and the guy wants to put her through put him through the X ray, and she's like, I'm not putting my bird through the X ray, and he's like well then you have to take him out of the cage so I can inspect the cage, so she stood back she said nope. You can do it. You want you want to inspect the cage. You want to take that parrot out of there. You do it. <laughs> wow. And the and the guy said, uh, does he bite? And just then the parrot Jackson is his name. He says, good boy. <laughs> and the TSA guy says, well, if you're a good boy, you can go. Oh, my God. Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. But now, is he named, why is he named Jackson? Well, at the time, my wife was re- interested in Andrew Jackson. And his obscene she, parrot. So she's a libertarian <laughs> and a little bit of a nerd. And so she liked the fact that Jackson was opposed to the to the National Bank as on and and so forth. She has since reconsidered, as she should have, her her views on Andrew Jackson. <laughs> and we both are no longer we are no not admirers of Jackson. But that the the name stuck on the parrot. I thought it was in honor of his famously obscene parrot. Did he have an obscene he parrot? He had a I parrot that he taught many obscenities. Well, I can't teach this parrot a damn thing. Well, the parrot allegedly had to be removed from his funeral because he would not <laughs> stop spouting the obscenities well, that that's uh, fantastic. the, the I great wish I could te- genocidal I, lunatic had taught it. That's the thing. Yeah. I wish I could teach this parrot. I, after I saw the Minions movie, I thought it'd be really funny to teach the parrot to say banana. 
I have spent hours uh-huh. of my life standing next to this bird cage saying banana, banana, <laughs> banana at this bird. And he just looks at me and finally he'll go, I love you. <laughs> but I have no idea. Why are you trying to teach me the name Maddening. of a random fruit? Absolutely. Weirdo. Uh, my sister and her late husband had a, a bird, an African gray, I do believe, a parrot. Uh, that was a shocking mime. Oh, they're um, incredible. Yeah. I, I was I stayed over one night and um, I heard her talking. And this is the girl I grew up with. This is my sister. Yeah. And um, and I thought, I swear to God, she was going to be at work by now. Right. And I walked out and there's nobody there but the parrot. And I mean, it was perfection. Yeah. Well, this one, our parrot is a blue crayon conure. He doesn't. He's not that good. He's not a good mimic or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he he does some fun things, he, you know. But I just I can't teach him to say banana. It drives me out of my mind. Wow, we were wow. supposed One to be talking about technological innovation of our time. We're supposed to be talking about technological innovation and how freedom is good for society and so forth. And uh, you know, some animals can talk. Is <laughs> <laughs> where we. You know, you were talking about uh, the advent of the the uh, the train train travel during Frederick Douglass's lifetime. I'm just gratified that Jerry Brown is still embracing oh, yeah. the emergence of the train as you, a you know, if you Travel took a tra- if you went back a hundred years, Californians were were scandalized at being ripped off by railroad companies stealing their millions of tax do- tax dollars right. and giving them nothing. And here we are doing exactly the same. This is what happens when you don't know your history, and Californians definitely don't know their history. Is this just a giant exercise in irony? <sighs> Because that was the greatest scandal of early California, was the, the railroad barons. The reason we have the Constitution we have today, the California is, runs on the 1878 Constitution, which was written as the result of the scandals over the railroads ripping off Californians. They held a special constitutional convention to re- write a new state law that would, that would prohibit this kind of abuse. And here we are again. Nobody cares. It just continues. And, of course, the train's never going to be built. It's never going to be finished. But in the meantime, lots of cronies are going to get a lot of tax dollars and call it creating jobs. Right. It's very frustrating. They're already getting tens of millions of dollars. It will be eventually, if the thing is built, and it won't be, it'll be well over $100 billion, probably nigh on $200 billion for a train no one, relatively speaking, will ever ride. Well, this is what gets me up in the morning and gets me drinking at night i'm strong and getty i'm getting ready for final thoughts oh, i do love the old songs here's your host for final <laughs> thoughts me marshall phillips what's your final thought well, i am truly off to pay the price of freedom this afternoon i'm meeting with my tax guy <laughs> oh boy uh, don't get me started. Michelangelo, your final thought for us. Uh, yeah, Tim's book, Frederick uh, Douglass, Self-Made Man, is 143 pages. A huge book. I'm waiting for the Cliff Notes or Hallmark TV movie. <laughs> now, about 30 pages is notes. They're optional. Okay. Uh, positive Sean, your final thought? Yeah, I'm still stuck on the idea of Basset Hounds attempting to play the sport of basketball. Uh, I will <laughs> be trying to put a league together and starting an Instagram page. Sean, you can have that one for free. From the fertile mind of me. Joe Getty. Tim Sandifer with a special honorary final thought. Tim? My final thought is a quotation from Frederick Douglass. What shall be done with the four million slaves if emancipated? Our answer is do nothing with them. Mind your business and let them mind theirs. Your doing with them is their greatest misfortune. As colored men, we ask only to be allowed to do with ourselves. Let us stand upon our own legs, work with our own hands, and eat bread in the sweat of our own brows. My final thought is what he said. 
Read the book. It is so good. Buy it for your kids. It will be a formative period of their lives reading this book. I mean, if they're like six years old, you know, buy it and hold on to it for them. (laughs) But uh, buy a copy, donate it to your local library, etc. I've already done that uh, because I'm a good person. There we go. Now I feel good enough about myself to get through the day. How much time do we have, Michael? Uh, about another 20 seconds before well, the music starts. Why is it starts. so long today? <laughs> I tried to time it out knowing that Jack wasn't going to be here, but I'm not oh. good at math. Well, oh, good. Right. Well, okay. That is a disarmingly uh, you know, self-effacing statement, so I will not kick you any further. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people to thank. So little time. Thanks for Tim uh, coming by. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. Go to armstrongandgettyradio.com. Uh, the links we said you could find, that's where you can find them. If you see something we ought to be talking about, send it along. Y'all do a great job on that. We can't see everything, can we? Armstrongandgetty.com. Jack will be back tomorrow. God bless America. This is a historic act uh, of uh, devastating incompetence. I will not sugarcoat this. This is a disappointing day for us. Big mistake, but not too bad. The fun level in this room is at an 11 right now, and that brought it down. The ride is over! The time for the clowns and the acrobats and the dancing bears has passed. Get away from here! Get! Get! And we apologize for our stupidity, and we really hope you forgive us for what we've done. Thank you, and good night. Because the show's over! What? Bye-bye. Just like the land, air, and sea. We may even have a space force develop another one. Armstrong and Getty, the voice of the West.